This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Carlos Bernard. Carlos is the founder, off-road architect, and event mastermind at Single Track Samurai. His group organizes and plans a number of rides and bike routes in Florida, including the Huracan 300, CFIT, and the Florida Divide. Thanks for joining me, Carlos. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. It's good to see you again. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your background. How'd you get into riding and route planning? Oddly enough, it, I know this is going to sound really odd, but as a little kid, I was always just into um, exploring. Hmm. When we first, uh, I remember in, I had to be like 1979. I know I'm putting, I'm aging <laughs> myself. When I was just a wee and we moved to Florida, mm-hmm. the house that we had purchased on Stratton Street, there was a, 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 a wooded lot next to our house. And um, I, I noticed there was a cut in the, in the, in the woods. Mm-hmm. So I walked down the cut and I ended up finding a foundation that someone had built out there out of pine trees. Oh, wow. And in that little foundation, there was an attic. <laughs> and in that little attic or ba- technically, I'm sorry, a basement, right? Because it's in mm-hmm. the ground. Yeah. In this little basement, I found a bunch of brand new tools that apparently someone had stolen and oh, hidden in wow. the woods. I know, right? <laughs> I took them home to my dad, and my dad looked at me like, like, like if I was amazing. Like if I had just played <laughs> the piano without ever being taught a lesson, right? Like, <laughs> how did you find? You know, we had literally just moved there, and I found a cache of tools, some of which we still have today. Oh my gosh! But um, from there, like I, I got into skateboarding, and that was my first real love was skateboarding. And because I didn't have a bicycle, you know, bicycles cost money and I couldn't afford a bicycle. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I skateboarded everywhere. I would probably skate like four or 500 miles every summer oh, wow. all over uh, central Florida, mm. which oddly enough, as I got older and when I decided that I wanted to bike more, because in my head, when I was, you know, um, 21, that's when I started biking. I was like, well, at least you can be older and still bike and look you know, not look like a weirdo. <laughs> like if you yeah. see a 70 year old guy on a skateboard, you're like, well, that's an odd one, you know, right, like, yeah. that's an outlier. Right. But 70 <laughs> year old person on a, this is how I was thinking when I was 21, like what are, what 21 year olds are thinking about yeah, what physical activity they're going to do into their old age. <laughs> Most are trying to think about like how to work a retirement plan. I should start a retirement. That was my retirement plan. Yeah. It was how I was going to stay active. So I got into bikes and uh, a friend had gifted me, a huffy. Hmm. And I wrote that huffy on parts of the challenge trail. Oh, wow. In Rock Springs Run, right? So now you have some context, right? One of the yeah. first off road trails I ever rode was the challenge trail, which is a real challenge. It's, it's, we were saying this year it is well named because it's a challenge. It's a challenge to even see it for, for first off and then also to ride it. Yeah. Yeah. So that right there, that challenge trail as good or as bad as it can seem was how I fell in love with Florida mountain biking. Hmm. And, um, and I guess what, what made me really fall in love with riding single track was how transcending the experience was for me. Cause I mm. felt like I was in a different state. Yeah. I would go ride some of these trails, some of those hilly roads and it just feels like a different world. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And you know how it is from there, it, everything progressed just how it does for every biker. Right. Mm-hmm. upgrade mode, you know, like, well, I need better. I need better because I started discovering and I know people can say what they want about bicycles. A good bicycle can make you a better rider. Mm. That's a fact. People will say otherwise, like it's not the, you know, it's not the arrow. It's the, it's the rider, right? Or mm-hmm. that, that whole thing, right? It's yeah. not the bike to a certain degree. It is the bike. My Huffy as good as it was, was nothing compared to the, um, the bike that my friend cobbled together, which was like an original specialized steel frame at, with a mm-hmm. rigid fork. Like he cobbled that together for me out of spare parts at the shop yeah. at Bike Works Orlando. And then, uh, you know, after I upgraded to a better and better bike, I started racing cross-country mountain bikes. Okay. And I did that whole thing for a very long time. I really loved cross-country uh, mountain bike racing. I learned so much, you know, just there's so many lessons in it. It's so psychological, more psychological than 
then people realize how yeah. aggressive cross country racing is. It's like you're off the line in like a lightning bolt and you're sprinting for 12 miles, right? Yeah. It, it, you learn a lot of good lessons. And eventually I, I, I got into, I guess maybe from skateboarding, you know, when you do a trick, you want to do something even better the next time. I got into that mode, but with biking. Mm. So I started doing six hour races and 50 milers. I did every 50 miler in Florida, like a dozen times the oh, wow. San Falasco, the mm-hmm. Iditarod, not the Iditarod, the Iditarod, the Kroom 50. I did those rides dozens of times because I was just in that mode of get, yeah. wanting to do more, wanting to do more. And then I eventually did a 12 hour race and I really loved all that. But what I didn't like was like when I was doing that 12 hour race, I'm like, Oh, there's that same flip flop. Oh, there's that guy sitting in that chair. Oh, yeah. there's that person holding that sign. Like it was like just around and around a loop. Flashback, yep. flashback, flashback. <laughs> and then, so I'm sitting there and hanging out with my friend Aaron. We had just gotten done like skating a mini ramp, and he showed me an article with John Stamstad riding the Great Divide mountain bike route, right? Mm, yeah. And how he did his first ITT. Like I saw that article, and my friend Aaron, which was he's a huge inspiration to me, and and I've told him this before. He was like, I want to do that someday. Yeah. And I'm like, he said that. And I'm like, okay. And you know what? He planted the seed and I decided I wanted to do it someday. Mm. So now let's bring it full circle, right? The whole story. After I, I decided I wanted to ride the Great Divide mountain bike route and go do that event, I said, well, I need to, I need to train. And I, I don't have the finances. I was a single dad with two kids, right? At that point, by the time I was 24, 25. So I just started um, remembering all the stuff I used to skate and then all the cross country trails and um, all those events, the fifties, the, the Iditaride, the Kroom, the Tour de San Falasco, all those cross country races. I remembered all those places. I remembered Rock Springs and, and, you know, long story short, I first created a route in my hometown called the Naked Indian Ride. No offense to anybody. Um, Naked Indian is a nickname for me. Long story, won't get into it, but <laughs> it has nothing to do with nudity. Anyway, I created that loop, and one of my friends, his name is Rob Roberts, he rode the loop with me, and he said, this is really awesome. Hmm. He said, you should, you should, you know, it basically encouraged me to go bigger. Yeah. And um, after a couple of more events that I organized, I organized an adventure race once because I was hugely influenced. My other big influence was Eric Weaver from uh, okay. Pisca Productions. I did yeah. one of his first double dare. And his encouragement and his grassroots vibe just kind of fell in love with it. I, I like that. And, um, you know, that I, I did my own adventure race in Santos. Like it was, it's kind of silly, like, because there's a lot of obstacles in the Santos trail system. Like yeah. one of them was be like, Hey, get a video of your buddy riding the wall, <laughs> try to incur- get a, get someone to get a camera and film you two riding the same bike. Like that was one of the checkpoints, <laughs> but at the same <laughs> time, it, in, in order to get their passport, they had to ride from the Santos trailhead all the way to, to the Pruitt Memorial. You remember that, those, yeah. those stones, kind of like that mini stone hedge that was out there? Yeah, they had yeah, to ride there. there for dinner. Yeah. So, so you kind of like see where all these other events kind of help because a lot of what I've mentioned is part of, of the Huracan. Like mm-hmm. you do the challenge trail, you ride Paisley, you, you ride all of Santos. It's kind of, you kind of kind of like, you know, they say you live life forward, but you can only understand it backwards. Or mm-hmm. well, when I look at it now, I'm like, I see how all the pieces fell together. Yeah. And during that ride, it's when we found out about that limestone road. Now you, we don't ride the limestone road on the Huracan. We ride that, what they call the tricycle trail. Okay. Yep. And Razorback Ridge, right? Yep. You, you, maybe you well, know those names. Yeah. Maybe Razorback Ridge. Oh my goodness. We were cursing that. <laughs> this is like the last thing on the last day. Uh, it's pretty radical. Yeah. Like you're like, oh wow, I, I better know what I'm doing or I could smash my face in here. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's on the side of a huge, big hill. Anyway. That's when we learned about the limestone road. And from that, I kind of saw a way where I could put a connect, connect Paisley forest to Croom forest. Okay. And that was the first cross Florida route I did. It wasn't cross Florida to like coast to coast. Yeah. It was just across Florida connecting what I thought were two definite, uh, similar ecosystems. Like I knew that Paisley forest, Ocala national forest is sand pine. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that Kroom is also sand pine. Yeah. And I saw a very cool way to connect them together. 
Mm-hmm. And in there, there was a couple of little small rides. I did like my first overnight. I, as far as I know, the first documented bikepacking overnight, I rode across the Ocala National Forest. People told me that I was going to get, di- that I was going to die, <laughs> that I was going to get um, killed by um, meth heads or meth dealers or both. <laughs> so when I rode through the forest alone, I like would hide from every vehicle. If I saw a vehicle, I would hide. I went like in stealth mode. I didn't even run my lights. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We had that exact experience last year with, yeah hiding camping and there were some people in trucks like a hundred yards away (laughs) shooting guns at night and yeah Uh, yeah so that was my first i survived and that kind of planted (laughs) a seed i did another trip and on that trip we went to like salt springs i just pulled out a map there i I still have the map it's uh, the ocala national forest recreational map used to be able to get it for two dollars at their visitor center Mm -hmm. i pulled out this map and i'm like oh this says spring this says overlook this says trail. And we just hit all those spots on a bikepacking trip. Cool. And that trip and that, that adventure race experience helped me create the C-Fit. Okay. And then seeing kind of like that huge shape, I was like, wait a minute. You know, you have, you have kind of like this angle on top and this angle on top that makes kind of like these, uh, these opposing letter Ds. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the top half of a loop. Yeah. And we started kind of exploring underneath. And that's when we had the opportunity to ride Maggie Jones and connect to Seminole Forest. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered the challenge trail. But the hard part about mapping the challenge trail was mapping it because it's, yeah. it's hard to follow. We had to make the connections. Figuring out the river crossing was really interesting. There was an old topo map that I found that had kind of like their logging operation layout. And mm-hmm. at that spot, they showed a Jeep crossing. Huh. So when I went out there... Um, Another interesting thing was that I, my degree in, uh, that I got at uh, University of Central Florida was in anthropology. Okay. So I'm a little bit trained when it comes to kind of spotting things that other people aren't. Mm-hmm. And when I got out there, I could kind of see the depression where the old road used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's how come I tell people when you get there, kind of hike parallel to the river for a bit before you try to go across. Mm. At first, it kind of had to pick my pick and choose my way through there but after everybody's done it so many times there's, you can ride almost all the way up to the spot where you got to get out and kind of drop into the mud to cross the river right yeah it's changed so much but that's how i found the river crossing hmm. and then uh me and my buddy mapped the the wakaiva part at first we used to go out an illegal way i had to change it to a legal way because then <laughs> someone started giving me giving me a hassle and and we started thankfully exploring Lake Apopka when it was not open to the public yet. But because we had looked at at maps, we understood that it was public land. Mm -hmm. It just hadn't, they hadn't finished building it out yet. So we used to go through Lake Apopka. There's been like five different exits. One required you squeezing through a fence. The other one was (laughs) you'd pop out behind a business. Uh, There was just so many evolutions, like the approach to um, where that huge overlook is um, that Mm -hmm. used to not be there. We used to go out this road, called uh uh wolf um wolf paw road it was just a huh. sandy mess for three miles we used to go out that way wolf head that was the name not wolf paw wolf head <laughs> and like i said over the years though you know i've had to have a hand here like shifting pieces around like mm-hmm. changing this changing this we used to start at santos maybe you made us you never made a santos start but we used to start there right and long story short we we had to we had a conflict at one point which i couldn't believe it like how could you have a conflict with my event <laughs> and i i um from uh, at the suggestion from the or from the people at the office of greenways and trails mm-hmm. mickey is his name he recommended shangri la and i went and checked it out and i thought the vibe was much better than santos mm, yeah. santos was right by the railroad tracks so in the middle of the night you'd hear the train like six times right <laughs> And they're so busy because it's so easy to get to Yeah. that in, unfortunately, like there was complaints hmm. oh, yeah. and it was, and it was a lot of people that I had a lot of love for hmm. and they were like, oh, they were too loud or this or that. And I'm like, oh, yeah. goodness gracious. Well, do you get a lot of support like from land managers? I mean, these days, like big events or, you know, even if they're not big events, but they're marquee events like the hurricane, like tourism people hear about this and they're like, Oh my gosh, we need to like promote this. And this is bringing people to the state or, you know, to our area. Like, do you get support like that or, or is it still kind of, kind of tough? I do. I absolutely do. And, but it wasn't at first like that. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't, no one's ever told me I couldn't do anything. They've never said no. Right. 
They just said, you have to fill out the paperwork and pay the fees. That's what they said to me. And at those times, early in the single track samurai thing, I didn't, it was still grassroots. I didn't charge anything. I didn't have, Mm. you know, I just didn't understand how I could, right? I just didn't feel right at the time. But but then eventually, as because I kind of have this thing where I become a little obsessed with things, right? Like refer back to skateboarding, where I spent my <laughs> summers skateboarding 500 miles. Who does that, right? Yeah. At 12 and 13, 14, right? Who does that, right? Um, I got crazy with it, and I realized that if they're going to make me pay permits and and have insurance, then I need to mm-hmm. also charge something. And as you know, time is money, right? Yeah. My my time out there scouting, creating, following up, checking in, talk, needlessly researching, like because no one asked me to do this, right? I, I say needless, not because it's not necessary, because when people do experience the route, I think they think it's a necessary experience. Like this was necessary, like I needed this, right? Yeah. I get a lot of that from people like, oh, I really needed that. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, how, how do you possibly make money from Huracan? I mean, you don't, you charge what, $50, $60, like clearly, you know, it's your time is worth more than that. Is this your full-time job or? Now it is. Now yeah. it is wow. because, because again, you know, it just, it didn't stop with the Huracan. The Huracan was just eventually that CFIT route, that top half of the circle, mm-hmm. I extended it to the coast and I made the CFIT which made more sense across Florida, (laughs) coast to coast. And then I took parts of the CFIT that I used for something else. And, and, you know, slowly, but surely we pieced together this thing for the Huracan. Mm, Yeah. Which is your biggest race of, of the ones or events that you put on? The longest or the most attended? Most attended. The Huracan for sure. Yeah. 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 I don't, I, 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 it's sad. I, I don't know if this is sad or good, but I, as far as income goes, it's like, um, I'm like a monk. I make like a <laughs> monk salary. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's fine. It, it, it is what it is. Right. But it, this is my only job now because it's just so much time that I have to invest in it. And I don't mind it because obviously it's what no one asked me to do it. That's why I say needless. Nobody requested this. I just started doing it on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And it just grew and grew. Huracan was just gave birth. Once I did the Huracan, I was like, well, I think I could go all the way north to Georgia. And I did. Mm. And I'm like, I think I could go all the way south. And I did. Yeah. Like that very first South Scout, I I rode um, as far south as I could. And then I looped up to West Palm Beach and caught the train back to where I started in Kissimmee. <laughs> I caught the wow. Amtrak. Like I yeah. self, it, you know, just little things like that. Just, I think um, what helped grow it even more though, right, was you know, the people, people like you who are Mm. the people who show up to these events, they encourage me. They're the ones who told me that I should be charging money. They're like, because they started handing me envelopes with cash in them. (laughs) Like they were taking up their own collection. Oh, wow. They they were like basically telling me like, this shouldn't be free. You know, this, you can't do this for free. They're like, not, not like you're doing it. Not like, not for the experience that we have. They would send me gift baskets. Wow. Yeah. They would send me presents. Yeah. Clearly you're passionate and you're talented too. I mean, the, the route is, it's great. And I want to talk a little bit about that, like how you create the route and sort of the strategy behind that. So was your goal to include as much single track as possible in the hurricane route? And, and how do you sort of evolve that route over the years? Like what's your priority in terms of like improving it? There's is, um, and I think some people would say I shouldn't share this, but basically I have a hierarchy of building a route. Okay. So number one, single track. Yeah. At least to me, single track. For mountain bikers, right? I mean, that's right. what we all love. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, option two would be double track. Okay. Right, after single one, yeah. there's two, right? <laughs> yeah. Then dirt road. Any version of dirt road. There's like seven different versions of what we call gravel in Florida. There's like seven different surfaces we call gravel. Okay. Then after after double tracks and and dirt roads and all the variations of dirt road. There's grassy track. We'll take we'll take a grassy levee. We will, we'll count that as dirt roads, right? We'll consider. Yeah. Then there's ghost trail. Maybe there's an old abandoned trail, an old throughway, right? Mm-hmm. That, that no one has. Then we look, then after that we would look at abandoned roads. Sometimes you find random strips of tarmac in the middle of the forest. It's pretty cool. Oh yeah. Little chunks of it. Then we would take bike path. Well, okay. Bike path. Let's yeah. go bike path, right? 
these are all good options too. I mean, you're listing a lot of stuff that is still like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a method. Right. And then once we run out of that, it's roads. Right. And then if I'm going to choose roads, I try to choose interesting roads. Mm. I like really bad pavements. So if a road has bad (laughs) pavement, it really like ups its category if it it fits. Right. I like uh, low traffic roads. Mm hmm. And then if I can't take a, a bad pavement road or a low traffic road or a rural road that gets very little attention, then I like sidewalk. Does this mm. road have sidewalk on it? Well, if this road has sidewalk and this road doesn't, guess which one I'm going to choose? Yeah. I'm going to give the rider the option like, hey, there's a sweet sidewalk over there. To me, sidewalk is urban single track, right? <laughs> well, there's there's a surprising amount of, of sidewalk uh, along some of the roads. And I mean, I guess it's not surprising now that you say that you kind of prioritize hierarchy, that. Right? But nobody uses them. Like, we'll ride these and there's nobody walking on them. There's very few, like, road cuts. And yeah, the sidewalks are actually just fine. Yeah. So, and then... Once we 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 see all those methods, of course, in those it, oh, inside of those methods, there's little subsets like um, existing trail systems. Obviously, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not out here cutting trail. Right. I'm using everything that's already there. Mm-hmm. So uh, existing trail systems. Um, it's it's really cool if you if you spend a lot of time studying like old neighborhoods, you'll see people mm-hmm. will make their own cut throughs, and right. you can hunt those down, and those <laughs> are really easy to find. Very similar to that little path that went to the woods where I found those stolen tools, like that little beaten path that you see people are doing it. Yeah. And there's a lot of those weird little connectors in the route because they're, you know, it's, that's the hierarchy. And if I tell you the hierarchy, it kind of all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the hurricane route is, I think what, like about 15 years now that you've been running it as a race? 13 years it's been, we've been inviting people to come ride with us, right? For okay. 13 years. But it's okay. been around for at least 15 years because it was developed. And then yeah. we tuned it. Like the first version of the Huracan was only 270 miles. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still the Huracan 300, even though it's 360 miles. How, how many of those 360, like this year's route, how much of that was like a paved road that's open to cars? I'd say I'm um, probably um, a I think actually someone broke it down on the internet and I could look it up for you and send it to you later. Yeah. But it's probably a hundred. It's an easy number to throw out. A hundred. Is it that much? Yeah. It doesn't seem like that much. Cause I guess those sections go a lot faster. You just, you spend more of your time off road. Yeah. It, 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 and it, you know, it might change over the years. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed actually you did. Well, you didn't get, you didn't have a chance to make it to that part of the trail, but Last year, after if you're going clockwise, after Rich Loam in that Ridge Manor store used mm-hmm. to have to zigzag through neighborhoods to get over right. to yep. the to the um, to the bike path. But yeah. now, excuse me, there is a part of the coast to coast bike trail is there. Yeah. So now we can use that. Yeah, so see, now, now we loop back. We to turned the, the wrong way out of the Ridge Manor store because we were like, okay, yeah, we know where we're at. We did this last year, but yeah. Of course. Wait yeah. a minute. There's a new, there's a new yeah. bike path. And yeah. it's, it's a nice bike path, right? Yeah. So that's, that goes back to the hierarchy because the hierarchy is like, like I say, when I say that I verify every inch of the routes, I do. I go out there or I have someone go out there or like I have a couple of great volunteers who help me mm. and we verify these pieces of the route. And when we out, go out there, sometimes we find new stuff. We're like, hey, they built a bike path. Well, mm. Now we got to use this bike path, right? Because <laughs> the hierarchy says bike path is still better than even a, a rural road or a country road, right? Yeah. You go to bike path before you go to pavement, right? So yeah. it's, it's interesting because that hierarchy that I use to develop routes, it's still implemented in the practices when things change. And things change a lot. Like a lot of the route yeah. has changed. How, how often do you go out there? I mean, like how far ahead of the race are you out there verifying things? Basically, we start January 1st. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, like pretty close to when the race starts and you're still. Well, no, we start January 1st for 24. Oh, <laughs> so more than a year in advance. Absolutely, because it's a process that is not just for the Huracan, it's for all the routes. Mm, yeah. And then sometimes I'm, I'm going out just to ride segments, parts, um, day rides. And then thankfully, I have so many people now at this point who have participated that I'll get phone calls. Hmm. I'll be like, hey, listen, I was out here and I noticed this. And I'm like, okay, I'll go check it out. And and it's just, it's great because you get these people who also kind of get it mm-hmm. and they contribute a lot too. Thankfully, 
that I've, I've been so fortunate over the years that aside from having a lot of wonderful people who encourage me to do stuff and encourage me that I should charge a little bit of money, that I should try to make a living off of this, but they also caught the bug. Hmm. Some of them started their own events and some of them have contributed to the Huracan. Hmm. Like a huge part of the Green Swamp segment was fleshed out by Patrick Thompson and Matt Wiggins. They like wrote a bunch of stuff that I just would have never wrote because in my mind, when I'm going somewhere, I'm trying to just get across right. the cleanest, nicest way. Yeah. But then they showed me like, well, we can get through the swamp and we can add some miles, but, and you guys can see some really amazing stuff. And that's mm. when that abandoned ranch showed up and mm. that quarry and all that other little knickknacks and pockets and corners and Bigfoot camp and Compresco <laughs> grade and all that stuff. I already had Compresco grade, but you know, Meg's hole, but then they showed me other stuff to add. And it was just, yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was good that's, stuff. It's good. It, cool. It's good to, it's good to listen. I can't be everywhere. So mm. a lot of the growth that has continued to happen has been from people who either on their own or inspired by some of the work that I've done, contact me and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Mm. And I'm like, I like it. And, but the first thing I'll do is go ride it. So I never yeah, ask anybody see to it do it yourself. Yeah. I never ask anybody. And, and I can't write a guide if I don't write it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to give you a narrative about something I have not done. It's impossible. Right. So you talked about sort of that hierarchy of how you plan the routes. And I'm curious though, about like some of the challenges along the route. For example, there are like a few just truly awful sugar sand sections that we ride. And, um, you know, there's, there's some like swampy stuff that you go through. Like, is that, is that stuff intentional? Like, do you try to have a mix of like some really challenging stuff, like to get people talking about the ride or is that just, that's just a byproduct of like, we got to get from, from point A to point B. It's literally just like a byproduct of, of, um, getting point A to B. It's like when you're going to the top of black mountain and if you've ever been on black mountain in Pisca forest and mm -hmm. you got to do that last thousand feet where it's nearly you know, Qbert hiking up the side of the mountain, <laughs> yeah. but you see that view. Yeah. Then that, you know, it's just what you had to do to get to the view. Right. And that sometimes yeah. a lot of that is, it's just what I ha we have to do to get to the view, right. To get to that next sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And, and there's just not a better way. And if there was, I would find it. Right. Or, and if, and I'm always on the hunt. So every time like someone gives me feedback, I'm like, well, I'm open to suggestions. Show me something better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid to <laughs> Show change. Me a better route. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm okay with change, but a lot of the yeah. times, a lot of the times it's just gets you to that next view. And then there's a lot of times when I'm out on trail and I finish something, I know there's an alternate mm -hmm. and the thought crosses my mind. I'm like, do I give them a pass and make nobody else have to do this? Or do I make them do this? Like sometimes I, I'm like, I think they should do this. Like this will be a lot. Better. That's what I figure. And, and we're, you know, among our group, we're talking about it and everybody agrees. Like at some point we're cursing your name. Like we're literally saying like, Oh my gosh, like Carlos, why did he put this here? Like, this is so tough. But then at the end, that's the stuff we remember. And that's the stuff that like makes other people want to do it the next year. Cause they're like, Oh man, heard you guys talking about this and sounds awful, but it also sounds like really memorable. I want to do it. Yeah. There should be a B roll of the stuff I haven't made people do. Oh my God. Like, oh my God. Thank <laughs> you for not letting me do that. You know, they, yeah. that, that role is pretty good. Some of my scouting videos, you see some of the bad stuff. It, it's, it's okay though. I, yeah. I appreciate that people are, enjoy it in some weird way, even if it's not at the moment, but later. Yeah. Cause I mean, you tell people that, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm doing this bike trip in Florida and of course, you know, the first thing people think is, Oh, that doesn't sound bad. It's flat, but you know, but then you, the stuff you want to tell them about is, well, no, there's like sand and sometimes you have to walk. It's so deep. And you know, there's all this stuff that makes it actually really tough. And yeah, again, I feel like the race wouldn't be the same if it didn't have that stuff. Right. Yeah. So your races are like all over the state. What part of the state do you live in? And like, where do you usually ride? I live in DeLand, Florida, which probably is, um, if you can think of Seminole Forest mm -hmm. on the Huracan route, mm -hmm. if you were to go, if you were to come out of Seminole Forest, like you're going counterclockwise, when you get to that busy road after you've passed all through it, mm -hmm. State Road 44, it's called you would go east about seven miles and you would be in the middle of, of town. And I live about a mile from the middle of town. Okay. 
So, so yeah, you're not far from not far from the route. One point of the route, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm 13 miles from Ocala National Forest. I'm 28 miles from Daytona Beach. Hmm. I'm 28 miles from Orlando. I'm 13 miles away from a train station, which I often use for scouting. So I'll I'll oh, hop cool. the bus to the train. I'll get on the train, take it as far out as I can, and then ride back. And, and you could take a lot of the Florida divide back. Yeah. So I can ride out and then ride, just do a bunch of scouting on the way home and route verification just on the way home Yeah. from that, from just using the train or my local resources. But that's about where I'm at. It's central Florida, hmm. uh, Northwest Volusia County to be specific. Gotcha. So I want to circle back to, you know, you mentioned in the beginning uh, that what first got you interested in bikepacking and these like ultra distance events was the Great Divide. Did you end up riding the Great Divide? I've had the extreme privilege of being on the Great Divide mountain bike route three times. Okay. The first time I, I took the Greyhound to um, New Mexico. <laughs> and uh, this is a famous... You rode south to north? Well, attempted to. Uh, <laughs> I was still extremely wet behind the ears, like puddles behind my ears. They lost my bike. Oh my goodness. How does a bus lose a bike? They did. They did. <laughs> The people in Silver City like put me up at a hostel uh-huh. and just helped me out for a few days. Wow. Like they literally gave me a bike to ride around town. I slept cool. in like a loft for a few <laughs> days, like just waiting to see if my bike would show up. Yeah. It, it, on the seventh day, well, on the like the fifth day to be specific, my bike showed up, but no front wheel. Oh my goodness! My front wheel was missing. I know this is terrible. All my stuff was in there, like. Literally, I like. I remember looking through the window of the hotel, looking at the dollar store, and I'm like, I guess I'm going shopping for clothes tomorrow because I had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a local lent me a front wheel. Another local gave me a ride to the border. I stuck my foot into Mexico, and then I started riding north through the desert. I'd never ridden in the desert before in my life. Mm. So being from a lush, tropical environment, going to the desert, talk about fish out of water. I thought yeah. I was going to die just from <laughs> being out there. You could I, have. I remember hallucinating, like riding across the <laughs> desert, thinking that the saguaro cactuses look like conquistadors on horses. Oh, wow. I was like, oh my God, how terrifying. I remember seeing an old house and being like, is that a medicine lodge? I want to go in the medicine lodge. Oh, like, wow. this is the kind of thoughts I was having. I made it to Silver City. I made it beyond Silver City. I got into um, the Gila. Mm-hmm. I camped out at some camp. And in, in, I didn't even have a real bivy. I had an emergency bivy. <laughs> I remember hiking up like out of that camp and there was huge bear tracks in the road. I was like comically huge. I was like, oh my God, this bear could have been in my camp. Anyway, I kept hiking and somewhere in, in, that, in that desert, I lost my mind. I just lost my mind. After a week of everything I had been through, I lost my damn mind. I barely made it across that desert and I stayed at the... They let me, there's a fire station on the other end, Beavertown maybe. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. <laughs> I got to that fire station and the firefighters fed me and they let me camp. Mm. And I remember I camped right by the payphone. Like this was back <laughs> when people still had payphones, yeah. right? Every single firefighter that called home, like went through the same spiel. Like, yeah, the fire's still going. Yeah, I have to stay out two more weeks. Like I heard that story like 30 times laying there, oh, like wow. trying to sleep. Yeah. I remember watching the satellites going above, like you could see the stars moving. And I'm like, that's gotta be a satellite. Stars don't move yeah. like that. Yeah. But after that, I called this guy who, um, who offered to pick me up. He was one of the people that helped me get to the border. I feel so bad that I remember his name last because he was like such a smart man. I called him and I said that I wanted, I just was going to go home. Mm-hmm. That I, I think after that week of everything I had been through, yeah. I just lost my damn mind and I, I couldn't, I couldn't see keeping going. And it's probably for the best. Cause now looking back when I went the second time, cause I've been three times, like I said, mm-hmm. I was totally wet behind the ears, sopping wet, man. Just yeah. a noob from newbie, noob city, noob town, USA <laughs> <laughs> in a desert, which I'd never been. Oh yeah. 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 Wow. And then that, that second time I went to Banff and did the whole Banff thing, which was exciting. Mm-hmm. And I, I failed that time too, and I failed real bad. I got all the way almost to the end of of, um, of Montana. I got to Lima, mm-hmm. and the mistake I made that time because here we go again, the mistakes, right? Yeah, I rode way too hard, way too fast. Mm, I did yeah. like two two hundred and sixty five miles in two days. What a bad idea! Whoa, 
Yeah. <laughs> I was like, the, that's when I first learned that I was the king of bad idea. Like I'm royalty. I'm <laughs> the king of bad ideas. Terrible idea. I, I destroyed myself. I was just a complete mess. Hmm. And I ended up pulling the plug at Lima. Yeah. Then the last time I went, I went to Jasper, which is the new start. Okay. And I took my time. Yeah. I am no longer wet behind the ears. Fully experienced, can handle almost any crazy situation. I'll come up like, I've learned the problem solving skills you learn from touring mm -hmm. and living on the road. And I spent 31 days out there, got all the way to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And when I got called home, there was an emergency at home and I had to come oh, home. Man. Oh, and dude, goodness. I was bummed. So needless to say, when I go back and I am going back, I'm just going <laughs> back to Jackson Hole and finishing that little piece in the middle I got. Yeah. Since then, I've done the Colorado Trail. So I've seen a lot of the Colorado parts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've done other big rides, but, you know, it, 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 it was just, uh, you know, fate. Yeah. Have I been? Yeah, I've, I've done it. And I love it. The, the, the tour divide, or the, it's, which is the race, the great divide, actually, a lot of people don't talk about this. The tour device course mm -hmm. is slightly different from the great divide mountain bike route. Okay. In key spots, one, mm. which I do not like, and I would tell Matt Lee this in a day, <laughs> you could take single track almost all the way to the border. Mm. And it's yeah. fun, like really fun trail. It takes you by a hot spring, but instead, like they make you go into uh, the, the Flint Valley or whatever, the Flathead. They make you go into the Flathead, which people love. It's rugged. It's backcountry. It's, mm -hmm. it's badass. But man, I really like single track. 100 miles of single track sounds like a lot of fun. So that's what we did. When we got there, we were like, screw that. I've been through the Flathead Valley. I did that once. I want to do the single track. And that's what we did. And there's just a lot of little spots where it's slightly different. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why wouldn't I do this instead? Like sometimes I think this stuff is intentionally difficult. They make it intentionally a little harder. Yeah. Like even my approach to the border, follow, when I approached the border that way, I didn't have to do that thing they call the wall. Have you ever heard about the wall? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a, a thousand foot hike a bike up the side of a muddy mountain. Mm -hmm. It's the worst part of the, you know, the Canada segment. Yeah. Everybody knows this, but you don't have to do that if you follow that hundred miles of single track to the border. Hmm. Yeah. No brainer. No brainer. <laughs> we had fun. Yeah. yeah. We had a lot of fun. I really loved it. Well, yeah. So you mentioned like sort of the mental aspects of bikepacking and, and how it can be really tough. I mean, I, I faced some really tough moments myself, even just doing the hurricane, which, you know, is not, not the, the great divide by any means. So I'm curious to know, like, what, what mental tricks or strategies do you have that you use to like kind of get yourself through the really tough parts of the ride? I don't know if, if, um, if I acquired this knowledge through books, because before I even attempted the Great Divide mountain bike route, I read like every survival book I could. Oh, oh and I watched. <laughs> that's, that's good prep. People are going to make fun of me, but I watched every episode of Bear Grylls. Oh yeah. And nice. There's been times I've been swamp hiking, and Bear Grylls is like in my <laughs> ear, like telling me what to do. He's like, "Yeah, hey, mate, there's a lamppost over there. That means there's a road. That means there's a driveway." Because I've had to like get out of situations. <laughs> Bear yeah. Grylls whispering in my ear. He's got good advice, that guy. Yeah. But I think the first thing is, is that uh, I try to avoid getting in a situation where I feel in despair. Mm. To me, despair is born out of uh, negativity. Mm -hmm. So I try to avoid like focusing on the bad stuff. Okay. Like I never, ever, ever, if I'm riding, will talk bad about the wind. It just mm. makes it worse. Like talking how bad <laughs> the headwind is, yeah. guess what's going to happen? It's going to get worse. And my friend, I remember my friend Nick was making fun of me on the Great Divide. He's like, oh, he started making fun of the head when I told him not to do it. And you know what happened? It got worse. Yeah. His fault. He learned do you his go the other way, way, though? Do you, do you say like, oh, this, this headwind is great. Like, I love this headwind. Or do I you just kind of keep it neutral? You're like, you do. You do. You're like, wow. You know, you kind of focus on, wow, today's just a, wow, you know what? It's really not hot right now. It feels so fresh. <laughs> This is real refreshing. <laughs> I'm really enjoying the opportunity to like, look at the sights more, yeah. you know, because you can only go like five miles an hour because you're being pummeled. Right. Right. But I, I think that's the first thing I do is try to avoid feeling despair. And I always tell folks too, like if you're feeling that despair, the first thing you should do is think about what would fix it. Is mm. it something sweet? Would you enjoy something sweet to eat? Would you enjoy <laughs> taking a break? 
Would you enjoy having a cold drink? Like, what would you enjoy? What would make you feel better? Would a nap work? You think Mm. nap, 10 minute nappy nap might work? (laughs) How about you get on your back and pull your knees to your chest and do some yoga moves? Maybe stretching out your lower back, like do whatever it takes to feel better Mm. is is just another thing. Like again, just to avoid feeling despair. I just, I never encourage negative thoughts out there. Like if you're feeling bad, there's no sense in like verbalizing it. You can think Mm. it, just don't verbalize it. Saying it out loud, forget it. It's like you're speaking Mm. some sort of, some sort of magic spell and it just gets worse from there. So I huh, kind of focus yeah. on, on just avoiding those feelings of despair by kind of employing a lot of little negative, I'm not, I'm no, not negative, anti-negative te- negativity mm-hmm. techniques. Mm-hmm. And that's always been kind of like my, my secret to enduring. That's how I learned how to endure, right? The, the, the key prefix in endurance, enduring. I learned how to endure by learning how powerful like the mental part is, is, I tell people all the time, any of you could do this any day of the week. Mm. You know, your ass is going to be raw, right? You <laughs> might not do it that fast, but yeah. if your mind game is strong, you'll find a way to get through it, especially mm. since bikes are so efficient. Yeah. You don't have to be a, a cyclist to go far. You just have to have the time to go that far and, and you know, and not let your ass bother you too much because you know yeah. how it is. Ass is going to hurt. Right. Well, so... Yeah. I mean, clearly you are great at, you know, motivating yourself and keeping a positive attitude. When we were talking before we started recording, you're talking about um, doing rides with other folks, doing like group rides and stuff. I'm curious, like, how do you motivate someone else who's having a bad ride? Like say you're, you're feeling fine, but you're with someone. And I find myself in this situation occasionally when I'm on a group ride and somebody's just having a bad day and I never know what to say or what to do. Or, you know, for me, I'm just like, uh, I'd rather just kind of tune that out and, you know, hope that they get through it. But like, are there things that you found that you can do to like help other people when they're in one of those tough spots? Um, absolutely. And here's the thing, like part of, of what I do uh, with single track seminars, I, I don't only just do organize these group starts, but I do a lot of private tours now, especially mm, now okay. people really want to do these small group rides and I have a lot of fun with them. You know, we yeah. get creative. There's some that we've been doing for eight or nine years. So there's like some that have been on the roster for a very long time. But yeah, that happens all the time that mm. I have that situation where someone is just, they're, they're not having the best day. And so they're a I, paying customer too. So you, you doubly have to make sure that like, that you can get them out of it. Kind of, because I still stay with the same format as the Huracan. What they pay for is just the route info. Mm. And then oh, they're wow. coming. They're coming, they're having a chance to hang out with me, but really all they pay for is the route. And I tell everybody that up front, you're paying for the information and coincidentally, you're going to have a chance to be part of this exclusive group. So they're a paying customer, but to a point, they really (laughs) paid for the route, right? right. But again, same tactic. So I try to avoid this feeling of despair. I don't let it set in. So some of the things I do is make a lot of jokes. Mm. Oh my God. If someone's doing really bad, I hang back with them and we talk a lot and I Mm. just try to make them laugh because I know that laughter is the best medicine at that point. Um, If I can get their mind off of it, I start talking about the sites. I'm like, hey, do you see that over there? Like try to just distract them is the first Mm. tactic Mm -hmm. and and try to kind of shift them into being a little more, you know, uh, happier. If I know a store stop is coming, we'll start talking about that store stop. Hey, what do you want to get when we get to the store? Mm. Go ahead. You want a Coke? You want a beer? Hey, let's do some day drinking, you know, whatever. <laughs> right? Let's talk about these things. And I, I start putting planting those seeds. And then I, and then here's the thing, though. Some people, you got to read them, right? Mm-hmm. Some people appreciate you being there with them. Others, they don't want that at all. They want you to leave them the heck alone, right? So sometimes yeah. I'll ride away and I'll wait. And when they come by, I'll do some goofy ass shit, like run next to them and cheer just because I'm in a really weird mood. And then if I know there's a spot to swim and cool off in a spring, Mm. that's a, that's a win. Oh yeah. I I know almost every swimming hole that I can know about. And I'll, if I can reroute them to a swim hole, I'll reroute them. Hey, let's stop here. Let's go for a swim real quick. And I'll lead the way. I'll be right in there swimming. And you know what? If I can get them in that water, I'll get them to the finish. Cause once they hit that 72 degree water, Oh man, that'll just get them all the way around it. And they'll, yeah. and they'll come. And then sometimes, you know what? It, it just doesn't work out. And I, I can see that despair has set into, like despair has its claws, right? So I'll just tell them like, what do you need? I'll tell you what, you got sleep kit, right? Mm-hmm. Wait right here for me. I'll be back in a day and we'll get you out of here, okay? <laughs> I start having real talk with them. I'm like, I can be back in a day, you know? 
Yeah. It, it's a sucky message, but it's better than you have to keep going, right? If they need yeah. to hear, they don't have to keep going. And the, and then if I can work it out where I have a friend nearby that it can help them, sometimes that Facebook shout out, man, like I'll post in a group like, hey, so-and-so needs help. Oh, they'll post. I'm like, why don't you post on blah, blah, blah. Maybe someone will come help you. Hmm. Man, in Florida especially, because Florida is an extremely friendly place, they'll get picked up. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, it is, it's just tough. You can't. These things are going to happen, right? They're part of it. People get in over their heads sometimes. And, and I think what the biggest obstacle that some folks have to doing longer distance stuff is that they don't realize how important it is just to have that daily mileage on their body. Mm. It doesn't have to be a lot of miles. Like I tell people who want to get into it, like into touring or long distance traveling is like incorporate bikes into your life as much as possible. If you can mm. bike to the store to go shopping, do it. If you can bike to work, do it. Even if you have to combine some form of transportation, just that kind of that hustle of like making your day happen with your bike translates really well into bikepacking because that's what you're doing when you're bikepacking. You're trying to get from A to B and you're kind of just living off your bike. Then that you can get that vibe going just on your day to day. And that's kind of, that's like really the most important you could do to prepare for any long distance trip. Let's not call it a race. I, I'm not big on racing. I'm more, in, I'm more about, you know, the route, like, enjoying experiencing the event, enjoying the place you're going to enjoying the things you're seeing yeah. versus going as fast as possible. I, I respect that side of things. Mm -hmm. And I, and I have to, I have the great pleasure and opportunity to interact with a lot of individuals who are focused on that. Mm -hmm. But um, I also realized that, you know, probably a good 75% of the other people don't care about that. And that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify too, that reminds me when I was checking in for the race this year, you were saying you listened to the podcast with Scott Morris and um, I don't remember how you put it, but basically you said, I said something about the hurricane not being a serious race or, or something. And so I went back, I was like, Oh shoot, what did I say? Joker I event. Horrible. Yeah. I, and well, I couldn't find Joker, but I did say something to the effect of like, you know, that there are, there are a few people who are racing the Huracan, but a lot of people like myself, we're not serious. Like right. we're not serious. And I meant serious in the fact that like, we're not competing. We're not there to race. Like we're there to have fun. And, and you know, for a lot of us too, we're still riding all day long. I mean, I think for us, it's like 14 hours a day. We're on the bike, you know, trying to get through this, but yeah, it's, it's not a race, but it is, but it is kind of serious. Right. It's, it's a, uh, again, Phrasing is everything again, right? People aren't paying me for anything. They're paying for the route info, right? Yeah. But it's a challenge. That's how the, that's yeah. what the, the, the placard says challenge. And that's when I fill out all these permits with all these parks, which, you know, they, they, they're all very, very supportive. As long mm -hmm. as I do the permitting the right way, you know, there's things that they give me permission for that normally they wouldn't give people permission for. And mm -hmm. it's all been through number one being, apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know I needed that. My bad. What do <laughs> right. I need? And, yeah. and doing what they asked me to do. And number two, the people, mm. people love the, the bike packers. And I wouldn't say just Florida bike packers because a lot of the people they've interacted with are, were, or the majority of them in the early days were from Atlanta, Atlanta yeah. crew, you know, yeah. <laughs> the Lake Lindsay folks love the Atlanta crew. I believe they sent them like gifts through the mail, yeah. <laughs> like to the Lake Lindsay people. They loved them that much. I love that stuff. That's you can't you can't put a you know you can't anticipate those kind of things when you start route creating the experiences that people are going to have or it's not just with your route but with the people they meet on the route, right? It's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Are you big on record keeping? Like do you have a list of like the fastest times or things? I, do. I mean it's tough because the the course changes from year to year. It what does. is what does that look like for you like as far as keeping records? Thankfully, because I wrote everything on my Facebook page, mm -hmm. I was able to go back and archive it all. Okay. Because I think like at some point, um, probably maybe three or four years ago, I started coming to the realization that I had been doing this long enough that I should start archiving, mm -hmm. like keeping track. And all that stuff is, is, is written down in archive. Now I post the results on the event page for a route like the Huracan and the CFIT. Mm -hmm. I definitely have definitive records currently because the routes have finally reached like a point of stasis. Okay. And then there have been slight modifications. Mm -hmm. And over the years, 
I've had to kind of like weigh what those modifications mean for an actual record setting attempt. Hmm, interesting. And, and if it's, if it's a very small change, like for example, uh, the Huracan last year FKT route versus this year's FKT route included a paved tunnel. Hmm, yeah. Right. That new paved tunnel mm-hmm. that you take that wasn't there a couple of years ago. Yeah. I don't think, you know, the change was negligible. It used to be a paved road. Now it's a, a tunnel across there. Yeah. Uh, you know, those tiny little change like that is not going to make it so I, I can be like, oh, we have to create a whole entire new record. <laughs> right. But for, especially for like the Florida Divide with the uh, Eastern Divide Trail launch, there was a lot of major changes to it. Mm. There's, there's, there's room for a new FKT on like any of the Florida Divide segments because there has been significant change now. It's been not just a couple miles. It's been a whole lot of miles. Mm. That being said, you know, the record's before were blazing fast i think the record for for riding from alabama to key west was like 11 and a half days set by jason murrell wow but that and the route was so much harder than it contained like 55 <laughs> percent more single track than it does now oh wow so even that 11 and a half old record compared to the route the way it is now yeah unless they can beat 11 and a half days on this route yeah. it still doesn't really compare because there was a so much hike about it. it was brutal hmm. that version of the route like nobody else had to do i did it he did it and one other person did it and then the next year i completely changed it i took out a bunch of the single track it was just too much i was like people are going to come out here and and lose their damn minds and go home <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. no one's going to finish like people want to do challenging stuff but they don't want to do the hardest stuff in the world all the time they want a little bit of fun stuff in there yeah can't, can't just create routes that are completely brutal because it just doesn't it doesn't necessarily translate into people having fun and coming out to bike pack. Right. Well, of the routes that you have, like which is the one that you recommend the most for folks? Like for people who want the full like Florida off-road experience, they want to have a good time, they want to see a lot of stuff, and they don't necessarily want to want to kill themselves. Like what's what's your favorite route for that? Uh let me preface by saying it that for especially in the past like 3 years, we've altered the, the hierarchy a bit, mm. especially with the growth of um, skinnier tires on dirt. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes we start route building on double track, not even single track anymore, which makes it a lot easier. It's a lot easier to build dirt road routes than it is to build routes with single track. And so I, that's where I would tell people to start. Okay. Something, one of my dirt road focused routes where it's more, you know, kind of like Mostly dirt roads, like we're talking 98% uh, rideable, mm-hmm. which means there might be 2% of pushing, but that's compared to where the Huracan where I would say you could ride like 90% of the Huracan. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest yeah. of it, that 10% is a real toss-up, right? Um, something like the Forgotten Florida route. It's a 200-mile loop that takes you th- through the, um, the big, uh, the Forgotten Coast, mm-hmm. which is a lovely area. We have a relationship with a person who's at the very top of that loop called Scouts Lodge. Okay. They have a lodge out there with three tiny cabins Hmm. and it sits 30 feet above the ground. Oh, cool. And they are the nicest people in the world. The guy, his hobby is to import coffee beans for himself. (laughs) So he always has great coffee. His name is Keith. Super nice people. And from there you could basically do just this beautiful loop called the forgotten florida loop mostly limestone and hard packed dirt okay i don't think any of it is unrideable you get to sleep on the river in another like elevated hut cool it is cool that's a great one to start if you don't want single track if you want the full experience and you're you're just a one and done kind of person you want to see some of the best gravel the best florida gravel right Mm -hmm. the best dirt um the best single track then by all means, you should probably ride the Huracan if you just want that wham and bam, like, boom, I'm done. Never going back. But if yeah. you kind of want to build it up, something like the Forgotten Florida or the Dirt Devil Loop or the River to Sea Loop are good, you know, a lot of traction rides where you're not going to have a lot of adversity, but you're going to have a lot of beauty. But if you want maybe just a little taste of what the Huracan would like, then you could do something like the Tally Tango route, okay. which is up in Tallahassee. Wow. Yeah. Freaking phenomenal single track. There's like four different routes. There's the original. There's the extra crispy, which has even more single track. That's tough and beautiful and raw. Mm-hmm. You get to see some rapids, which oh, there's cool. not a lot of rapids in Florida, yeah. but you get to see them. 
there's the 277, which is a longer version of that extra crispy route. And then there's the, the gravel version. There's a, a 230 mile loop up there. That's like 80% dirt. Wow. I know. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> the panhandle is some of the best riding in the state. If you're, if you want to experience, um, single track and, and that bit of variety, if you're just looking for dirt road focused routes, a lot of people are, but like I said, if you want like a little bit of everything, the biggest road climbs, some of the best backcountry roads, the best single track, the best dirt road, the crappiest trails in the world, ride the Horicon. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get all of that in one loop. You get all of the adversity, the swamp hiking, everything. Yeah. Do you worry that the, the Huracan will get too big? You know, my biggest concern overall for everything is that I worry that, that all this work will just uh, fade away one day mm. and disappear. Mm. So my focus probably for the next, like people ask, what's your five-year plan? Well, <laughs> my five-year plan is to establish a nonprofit called Florida Bikepacking mm. that would become like the Florida Trail Association is for the Florida Trail. I see. Where yeah. these people will continue to steward all the routes and maintain them. Because if you, um, the way I designed the routes, my, my vision was so that folks could go from Alabama to Key West, right? Mm-hmm. That was part of my vision. But if they wanted to take a side trip to Ocala or a side trip to Micanopy or a side trip to Cedar Key or a side trip to St. Pete or a side trip to St. Augustine or a side trip to Jacksonville, using all the routes, you can connect them and do that. Mm. So I get a lot of emails that people say, hey, I want to go from here to here. And I say, oh, okay, yeah, I got you. And because I know how to, because I have access to the whole map, I can link them all together. And I would hate for all that work to just, you know, pass <laughs> right. on the day I pass on. Yeah. It would be more important to me that, you know, it's like the, uh, like the Appalachian Trail Association, right? Yeah. People who probably helped father the Appalachian Trail are probably not around anymore, right? Right. But the trail lives on. And that's, that's my goal in the next five years is to be able to establish that so that the trail lives on, right? These little routes live on. I don't worry that the Huracan will get too big because, honestly, I, the permits say I can only make it so big. Mm, yeah. So, it's, it's like, I have a limit of what I can do. It's limited. Yeah. I, I could ask them for more room and maybe they'll give it to me, but they might say no. Yeah. To, to them, it seems to, – to the people who perhaps – sign the permits it seems kind of crazy like no this is a little too crazy there's two because you know they're thinking about liability and yeah and people getting hurt and i don't blame them it's scary right. you know i i lose sleep while these events are going on until i know mm. everyone's off course safe i'm worried yeah you know i i'm yeah. like ready to go rescue someone if i have to right i don't want to tell people that because then they'll start calling me up <laughs> but i do pay attention it does matter to me yeah. So, you know, I could see their point of view if they were worried that it got too big. It's way too much. Yeah. Well, it it does feel like, too. I, I mean, I can feel that, that you do feel that, like, uh, responsibility because, you know, the day after I finish, you're texting me. I mean, one-on-one, like, Jeff, are you still out on the course? And I'm like, oh, no, actually, I'm not. Sorry. I forgot to tell you, Carlos. But, like, you're worried about it. You're concerned. And, like, you're you're making sure everybody's doing okay. Yeah. So are there any sort of, you know, you've been doing this for a while now. Are there things that you've seen in the bikepacking gear that has made bikepacking more accessible and enjoyable than maybe when you first started? Like, like, would you say that the, the equipment and, and the things we have available now um, make things easier? And, and if so, like, what, what are those things you think that, that have made that like big difference? I, I think the best thing that I've seen happen with bikepacking, um, and I started witnessing it in 2018 when I was last out on the Great Divide mountain bike route, mm-hmm. was um, the mix matching. The people kind of getting, to me, the basic fundamental aspect and probably the most difficult thing for people to learn about bikepacking is the what works for them, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. God bless bag makers. God bless them. They're amazing, but they're all really tall. So they make bike bags for tall people, right? It's terrible. If you're short or small or compact or like what I like to say, the perfect height for cycling, like I am five foot eight, (laughs) it was a struggle finding the the, equipment, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And now you have a more variety of ways of packing stuff. Like yeah. the first time I was on the divide, everybody had sausage rolls and you know, you know the deal, those sausage mm-hmm. bags and wag bags and sausage rolls. The last time I went, I saw baskets and panniers mixed with sausage bags and frame bags. And mm-hmm. I really love that mix match. Mm-hmm. I love the big saddle bags, like the bags by bird. I'm not, he's not, I'm not sponsored by bags by bird. I love that style of bag. Because to me, it's kind of like a basket with a top on it. And right. what I like about a basket, because I like to bike back with a basket too, is that you don't have to think. You just throw shit in there right. and you go, right? <laughs> yeah. When you pack a sausage roll, you really have to think about it for it to work properly. Yeah. When I see a, a sausage roll wagon, it's either a really bad bag, like a poor knockoff, mm-hmm. or the person just doesn't know how to pack it. Like the heaviest stuff has to go closest to the seat post, the compressible stuff toward the back. You don't have to do that with a pannier. You just toss it in there and go. Right. So to me, the the best thing that has happened with bikepacking, at least in the first in the last like five years, has been the introduction of even more options. Mm. So racks, panniers, which I've existed, but now there's lightweight racks and lightweight panniers so that the people who are worried about the weight can use them and, and all that variety. I really love all that variety in equipment. The fact that they use lighter material, everybody's mm. conscious, a little bit conscious of how ounces count. I just love all that. I mean, I love all the variety. It's fantastic. I really love where it's been going yeah. overall in terms of that. I mean, I, heck, Logan from bikepacking.com, he makes me want to get a dropper post. I was like, <laughs> I don't yeah. need a dropper post. We don't have none of that. I'm not going to go downhill for 10 miles in Florida. Are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> but he's like, but what if you're just chilling? And he got low and I'm like, oh, I could yeah. be chilling. Good to have another position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now I want to get a dropper post. But a lot of people who use dropper posts, guess what they're using? Racks. Mm, because it's yeah. it's hard to find volume with, with, with those little tiny seat post compatible bags, right? So they're using the... Right, right. I've got a big bag on my dropper posts, but then the problem becomes you put a lot of stuff in the bag and the post just doesn't want to go up. Like it's just too heavy once you get all that stuff on there. What about like GPS tech? You know, I'm wondering like 13 years ago, were people having a hard time like following your course and stuff? Like, I feel like those have changed so much, even from when I've, I haven't been doing it that long, but you know, today's GPS is just make it a lot easier. I feel like to, to follow a track. They, they, they do. So technology has come a huge long way. Like the first routes I mapped, like the naked Indian route and the deaf loop, Mm -hmm. I mapped them by riding them. Yeah, I would have to ride them, then go home, and I couldn't even draw a route, so I would literally have to write like, take the third cut to the left after <laughs> studying a satellite image, like ride point oh, two miles, take a right. Like this was the old school way of mapping stuff. Like it was literally a cue sheet. Like you didn't have a mm-hmm. GPX file. You're just like, no, I couldn't draw my own routes. I could oh, export man. GPX files, but like yeah. let's say like when I when I did the CFIT route, the very first 180 mile route, I'd actually had to ride it to right, share so the could- route. Yep, you couldn't <laughs> just couldn't draw, draw a GPX. No, yeah. I couldn't at that point. <laughs> Eventually, that technology came very, very quickly. It came like much sooner, made my life a whole lot better. The whole right. heat map thing has made my life a whole lot better. Oh, right. Yeah. Because I'm able to see if people are using it. Like, And then the problem is with heat maps, here's the problem, Jeff, with heat maps is that if you don't have a person who's prone to exploring, then there might be stuff that's amazing that no one's writing because they're yeah. just not exploring. They're just doing what everybody else is doing. They're waiting right. for that first trickle of, of, of red, right? Yeah. So you still have to go out and explore. I still find stuff that no one else has done. I'm lucky that way. But that technology went a long way. And then I was really huge on the E-Trex unit. And I, I think the E-Trex unit is like the staple of bikepacking. Mm-hmm. But I used a 1030 for a while, and I really like that big screen. So these bigger screens are great. The whole wireless transfer thing where you can upload a GPX wirelessly, man, that's huge, huge technology advancement. Yeah, that saved me. You know, this year I loaded the wrong course. Like I had the 2022 version, and it was going the wrong direction. And I realized this like, I don't know, a day and a half in. And I was like, well, shoot, what am I going to do? But then, you know, I remembered a friend had like created the files. He took your files and he like divided them up into three days and he had posted them like on a discord. And I was like, you know, whipped out my phone and I went to the discord and I downloaded it and sent it to my GPS and boom, like problem solved. But yeah, I remember like if you didn't show up 
to the race with the thing already loaded on your, your GPS, like you were screwed. You were, you were. And then the, when, when I first started creating routes, I didn't know about the 10,000 point thing. Like mm. certain GPSs, <laughs> especially back in the day, they couldn't even handle 10,000 points. You would have to break the 10,000 point route into like eight different 500 point routes. Yeah. For, for some of the uh, original like GPS garments, that, that's mm -hmm. what you had to do. Yeah. And I remember at the very first, uh, CFIT, um, it, it had only eight people started. We were down to two people. It was me and this guy named Brian. Mm -hmm. It was just the two of us left. It was like um, we were going mano a mano. He had, he had been chasing me all day. He caught me, right? But guess what happened? His GPS truncated. So all he had was a straight line going east, right? Oh, no. He didn't know where to go, so he was stuck. So we, oh, he, we ended up tying for first place because his route disappeared. Yeah, but wow. we didn't know that you had to break it up into all these little, you know, 500 points. And I actually learned how to do that from Scott Morris. I started mm. using Topo Fusion and Topo Fusion had a program that would break the route up for you. Right. A, a lot of that early innovation that helped get me to the next level in route creating came from Scott Morris and Topo mm. Fusion and using yeah. his program and, and his tutorials like that guy. Man, I don't know how many people he's influenced. If they don't know about Scott Morris, it's, they learn from somebody who knows about him. That's I guarantee right. you that, right? Yeah. They don't, if they didn't directly get it from him, they indirectly got it from him. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool to think about all the things that allow us to, to do these trips now and to make them enjoyable and to make them safe and fun and, and all that stuff. And obviously, you're a huge part of that as well with your routes in Florida and just contributing to the overall, like, bikepacking scene i mean the events that you put on are are nationally internationally known people travel from all over to do them and you know i know i've personally enjoyed uh riding the hurricane and yeah really love love what you're doing there so thank you thank i'm the one who's thankful i, I i'm still blown away like to me it every year feels brand new and that's probably why i keep doing it because mm. if it started feeling old i might not do it right every yeah. every year feels brand new and i just feel so fortunate to be able to Number one, have the opportunity to share something I'm passionate about. But number two, share it with people who appreciate it. Because, mm. you know, what's the use of sharing something if they don't appreciate it, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, awesome. Well, you can find out more about Carlos and his events at singletracksamurai.com. We'll have that link for you in the show notes. That's all we got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Mm.